This episode of the History Files is brought to you by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com/historyfiles to start your free trial membership. Many, many years ago. Building of human rights. The guns at Malta evoke again the echo. In June 1948, all road and rail communication. Some things just aren't easy to explain. The History Files. We bring history to you. Welcome to episode 50 of the History Files for the fifth week of April 2016. We've been at this podcast thing for just over a year now, which is cause for celebration in itself. It's also our 50th episode of the History Files, which is a landmark and <laughs> feels pretty crazy. We thought we would talk about something special today, and what could be more fun than a show about pirates? Due to the plethora of traditions and misconceptions about pirates, this, this may well be another myth-busting episode. April 28, 1789. After a five-month layover in Tahiti, the crew of the botanical research vessel HMS Bounty, led by Lieutenant Fletcher Christian, mutinied against their captain, William Bly. The shipboard climate had been deteriorating for many months, with the crew becoming more disaffected and the captain countering with more frequent and severe punishments. The Tahiti interlude, during which many of the crew formed attachments with islanders, proved to be the catalyst for the disaster. Bly and a handful of loyalists were put off the ship in a launch, and largely due to Bly's nautical prowess, navigated some 300 3,500 nautical miles to the Dutch settlement in Kupang Timor. The mutineers, after a series of misadventures and at least one failed attempt at settlement, finally landed on Pitcairn Island, where after initial social discord and violence, their descendants live to this day. It's kind of interesting that William Bly is one of the few people to have two mutinies occur under his command. It's really too bad is the the film version the film accounts of the of the novel always make him out to be this horrible terrible bad guy. But when you read the actual historical accounts Fletcher Christian wasn't he wasn't that great a guy. He wasn't either. really the upstanding character you must you know abused poor innocent guy that they portray him to be in the in the films. He was kind of a, a an agitator. Yeah, somewhat. April 30th, 1803, the Louisiana purchase of territory from France effectively doubled the land size of the United States. The Lewis and Clark expedition not only is a scientific expedition to study the newly purchased lands of a and a peaceful entreaty to the Native Americans living there, but also by going to clear going clear to the Pacific coast, it reinforced the American claim on Oregon territory. We have to remember that in that day and age, Oregon Territory included not only the um, state present state of Oregon, but also Washington, Idaho, and British Columbia. Of course, with the French sale of Louisiana, nobody bothered to ask the Native Americans what they thought oh, of the whole yes, thing. Oh, yes, well. <laughs> April 24th, 1898, Spain declares war on the United States in response to an American 
provocation, several American provocations, such as demanding the independence of Cuba and instituting a blockade on Cuba. Declaration of war by the United States followed on April 25th, but we backdated it as a state of war to April 22nd. Oh, how convenient. April 25th, 1915. As part of the World War I amphibious invasion of Turkey, troops from the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, also known as the Anzacs, came ashore during the night on the western side of the Gallipoli Peninsula. It proved to be a disaster from the start, as the troops were landed a mile north of their planned beachhead. For <clears throat> Excuse me. Formations fell apart in the dark, and the element of surprise was soon lost, resulting in the Anzacs being pinned down by relentless fire from the Ottoman Turk defenders high on the bluffs. This disaster is commemorated in Australia and New Zealand every year as Anzac Day. This is Hollywood. Sporting cast of thousands. What else came of my trip to the library? Romance, education, entertainment. For our film, TV, literature, and pop culture section, we have a few... It, it, let's just say it was easy to find things for this week because uh, there's all, always good things about pirates. First off, I really like the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, the 2003 film directed by Gore Verbinski. I love the music by Hans Zimmer, and, well, it's not actually by not technically Hans Zimmer, but he had a hand in it. I just love it. I It's a lot of fun. It's a romp. It's completely not historically accurate and I don't care because it's just a fun golden age of piracy yes, movie. Yes, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, loosely related to that is a novel that I really, really love by an author whom I really, really love, On Stranger Tides by Tim Powers. Now, Disney optioned this novel years ago because they wanted to make May, uh, do one of the, base one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies after it and they did that with the fourth film and it has virtually nothing at all to do with the novel other than the existence of Blackbeard. It, it's it's inexplicably bizarre. It really doesn't have anything to do with it. But that's okay. Tim put that money in the bank and good for him. So uh, On Stranger Tides is a wonderful novel that follows the misadventures of Jack Chandanyak. And uh, it, it's a lot more it, it's a, it's kind of a crash course in the golden age of piracy, and I highly recommend it. Gordon has a hot recommendation next. Pirates by George MacDonald Frazier. Uh, Actually, it, it's The Pirates. Oh, The Pirates with a Y. The Pirates. Yeah. P-Y-R-A-T-E-S. Pirates. <laughs> Pirates by George MacDonald Frazier. It's um, more of a late 17th century romp. But again, um, golden age of piracy stuff with, uh, you know... Well, it's fun. Mm -hmm. And you've read it, right? I bits and pieces. I, I know never you're got a huge thing. George MacDonald Fraser fan. So, yeah. so I think I picked it up at one point and I didn't finish it. But uh, if if you're a big fan of the Flashman series or any of his other works, the Steel Bonnets, you'll probably get a kick out of it. Also, we want to recommend. Old Ironsides, which is a silent film from 1925. It has Wallace Beery and various others. Uh, we can't find it streaming anywhere, but there is a DVD out for $10 from MTH Express. I have an old videotape, VHS yeah. tape, that I bought at the Constitution Museum uh, in 
Boston, or actually in Charlestown. The real name of the boat, Old Ironsides, Old was Ironsides. just its nickname. Yeah. Yes, the USS Constitution was named Old Ironsides because it was built mostly out of uh, southern live oak, and literally the 18-pounder cannonballs from Guerriere bounced off mm-hmm. at long range. So thus... Old Ironsides. Must be catchy nickname. Anyway, in the this film, it uh, has Old Ironsides taking on the Barbary pirates of North Africa. Which they did. Which they did. Yeah. It's, again, another loosely based on history kind of thing. It's a little more based on history than something like Pirates of the Caribbean. But it's uh, it's worth your time. If you could find a copy of it at your library or you want to pick up that $10 copy, it's a silent film, of course, 1925. Wallace Beery is awesome. Um, there's some historical figures in there, like young William Decatur. Yes, and, and also there's just some great sailing. There's going some on. great sailing. They built ships to do. There's no CGI in 1926. <laughs> they built <laughs> they a replica ship. of the Constitution. They had all these other boats sailing around. There's a lot of great sailing and gunnery in this. Yeah, they weren't using little models. No, no. It, it's it's a lot. It's it's worth your time. It's got a dorky romance at the heart of it, but the rest of the stuff is pretty cool. Now, if you'd like to read a swashbuckling tale of daring do and some daring don't, why not pick up your own copy of The Pirates by George MacDonald Fraser? And you can do that by heading over to audible.com, where members of the History Files audience can pick up this masterpiece of absurdity as a free audio download with a free 30-day trial for new listeners. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash historyfiles to take advantage of this opportunity to try out their service. With over 180,000 titles to choose from across all genres, you're going to find something you love, including Tim Powers' sweeping tale of swords and sorcery in the golden age of piracy on Stranger Tides, read brilliantly by Bronson Pinchot. I've listened to that one, and it is really, really good. Uh, So yeah, we'll have links to that in the show notes. History lives again. For our main topic today, um, we're going to talk about pirates. It's uh, fun on one hand, but it's also deadly serious on the other. Yeah. We like to play pirates. A lot of people go to Renaissance fairs and stuff and play pirates. They usually pay, play pirates 100 years off. Well, that's okay. They're, they were snappy dressers, so why not? And, uh, you know, there's lots of legends and mythology surrounding pirates. And, you know, in those that mythology, they're cool guys. They're fun guys. And in some cases, they actually were. In most cases, they were just bands of cutthroats. Um, yeah, and, the reality is not romantic. It's awful, and you don't want anything to do with them. Pretty much. Now, the earliest pirates, uh, well, they, it goes back a long, long ways. And pretty much you filled your boat with trade goods and sailors. And if you came across a another ship or town or whatever that was more powerful than you were, you were traders. If you were more powerful than them, you were a pirate. Uh, <laughs> it all depended on the on the differential of power. So we're talking classical era here? We're talking, yeah, pre-classical. We're okay. talking, you know, way early stuff. The, the earliest Greeks, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, the Greeks were very maritime. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Greek islands and whatnot in the sure. Ionian Sea. And um, 
they were enthusiastic pirates. They were enthusiastic traders as well. And so it was really hard to tell the difference. And in fact, I think that lasted a long, long time. So this, you're, so you're saying this is like the second or third oldest profession? Yeah, pretty much after flint napping. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not a profession. That's a trade. Uh, well, I was thinking of the joke. You know, oh, the yes, I understand. <laughs> I was uh, trying to be <laughs> less. Yeah. Anyway, so the Mediterranean, as as things, I guess you would say, civilized and as trade built up in the Mediterranean world and probably throughout the world, um, piracy expanded to suit, you know, alongside it. And with that expansion of piracy uh, and the development of nation states, you get in response the development of navies. Navies were not originally developed to attack other navies or other nation states, or rather city states, I should say. They were developed primarily to put down piracy. To protect shipping. To protect shipping, to protect your commerce. Because your wealth is based on commerce, and if you have too many losses from uh, from pirates, well, you have, you know, your economy suffers, and therefore, you know, <laughs> you have to do something about it. One of the interesting little sidelights to all this is one of the most famous people in history, Julius Caesar, was actually captured by pirates and held for ransom. Oh, no. uh, he was actually disgusted and appalled and offended by them because he didn't think they were asking enough ransom for him. <laughs> uh, but he also vowed to hunt them down and execute all of them, which he did. When they ransomed them, he came back and got them. And, wow. uh had them all executed for their audacity to take him prisoner and hold him for ransom, especially because they didn't ask enough. Because they, cause they were cheap. They were cheap. They were, well, you know. They undervalued him. They, yes, he felt undervalued. Moving, or should we say jumping ahead another almost 1,000 years, at least 700 or 800 years, um, we have the Viking raiders of the North Sea. Due to climactic, climatic and um, social uh, population pressures, things like that. There was this explosion of uh, the Northmen mm -hmm. on the North Sea. Younger sons. Younger sons. And just, you, yeah, you have this, uh, if you wanted to make a, a name for yourself, you had to distribute wealth to warriors. And the only place to do it was yeah. far away. Mm -hmm. And there was also, there also tended to be a, centralization going on of power among the kings of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and a lot of the more further flung, you know, tribes didn't like that. And so they went far afield. They uh, not only raided places like England and what's now Normandy, uh, but they also settled there and also settled in, of course, we know Iceland, Greenland, and North America as well. And what's now Russia. And what's now, yes, the Swedes or the Rus, Rus Vikings, and they went to Russia and clear to the Black Sea. It's amazing. They would take their long ships, which, of course, were these beautifully designed ships that have a lot of, of bend in them. Flex. Flex. Mm -hmm. um, they would take them up the Neva River from St. Peter, what's now St. Petersburg, and portage them across this marshy area mm -hmm. 
to the headwaters of the Volga and then down to the Black Sea. That's astonishing. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, they find silver in, in Viking burials that came from, from far to the east. Oh, yeah, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Now, silver also circulated well because yes. it was of constant value. But um, these guys also were strong proponents of if you're stronger than us, we're traitors. If we're stronger than you, we're pirates. Seems like a good policy. Yeah. yeah. Um, they formed, you know, there were uh, guy, uh, Vikings who worked for the Byzantine emperors, such as Harald, which was the one who, uh, the king of Hent, of, um, of uh, Norway, who... Um. Hadrada? Hadrada, yeah, Harold Hadrada. The name that pops into my head. Yeah, he's the one who uh, was defeated at Stamford Bridge by mm. Harold Godwinson in 1066. There were... Harold's um, everywhere. The Vikings conquered Sicily. They conquered the land or in France at the headwater... Or, pardon me, at the mouth of the Seine, which became Normandy, i.e. Norman, mm -hmm. the land of the Northmen. And they took over pretty much the eastern half of England and southern Scotland, too. Uh, thus, English and Inglis, which is what they used to call Scottish, were, you know, that's why we have this huge infusion of Scandinavian mm -hmm. uh, on top of our Germanic roots. Oh, all of the North place Island. names in the UK, that anything that ends in BY. Darby, Derby, those are all, those are all, you know, Norse words. Norse and names. actually York was founded by yep. them, as well as Dublin. Mm -hmm. So the Northmen had a huge impact on, um, on our English uh, language and uh, English culture as well, the uh, English politics, uh, our own politics. So they were... Um, not only effective raiders and uh, whatnot, they were also effective colonists. Alfred the Great, in fact, who was, you know, well-known, well, you may not know this, but anyway, he was um, quite famous for his uh, Fabian tactics in dealing with these Viking invaders, the mostly Danes and, and Norwegians. Uh, he's credited with founding the Royal Navy, Britain's Royal Navy, in defense of the realm. Uh, very much in the tradition of, you know, founding navies to fight pirates. The Vikings, for the most part, were very much pirates. And so founding a navy to combat them, pretty much using the same ships, uh, was absolutely uh, <laughs> nothing new and nothing unusual. Piracy tends to swell in times of tumult. And the times of the Crusades were absolutely no different from any other time of tumult. And you have both Muslim and Christian pirates cruising the Mediterranean. The, uh, as the Muslims had expanded across, the, uh, across North Africa in the um, 7th, 8th, 9th centuries, um, they of course, were able to uh, take control of fairly large parts of the, um, of the Mediterranean. But Christian pirates countered them, and it made traffic, commercial traffic in the Mediterranean, and even out well into the, uh, into the Atlantic, 
very dangerous and difficult. Um, by the time we get into the age of exploration, the Portuguese explorers were of the same type. Uh, we tend to think of these guys as, oh, well, they're explorers and they're trying to set up trades and things like that. Well, yes, but the Portuguese, once they got at least in, into the Indian Ocean, they became pirates too. It was absolutely uh, no different that the same thing held. If you were smaller than the other guy, you're a traitor. If you're bigger than the other guy, you're a pirate. It seems to be a recurring motif. Now, when you say age of exploration, what what do you def what would you define as the age of exploration? Starting in 1492 with Columbus. Mm -hmm. Actually, it starts a little earlier, more like the the 1440s, with the uh, Spanish and Portuguese getting into the islands such as the Canary Islands and the Azores, but ending probably around 1600, okay. 1607 thereabouts. But the age of exploration definitely the Portuguese as they moved into the Indian Ocean, um, they pounced on the um, the major shipping that was going on across, you know, trans-Indian Ocean across between uh, India and Africa and the uh, Arabian Peninsula and, of course, off into, um, you know, into Indonesia as well. The Spanish explorers, I guess you'd call them the pirates of the Atlantic, there wasn't a whole lot of shipping going on in the New World, but the pirate, the uh, Spanish were more than happy to take advantage of any shipping that they did discover. There were also Chinese pirates. Uh, the Chinese had, as opposed to the, most of the European pirates seemed to have been one-offs or a few ships at best. The Chinese had fleets of pirate ships. Were they smaller boats then? So they traveled in fleets or were they just the usual? They were junks, full-size junks, sometimes oh, huge wow. junks. Uh, one of the things, we call them junks, but they were, uh, Chinese ships were very, very well designed and their sails, the, the uh, uh, how would you call it, Latin sails? Anyway. Oh, and the sail, but type of sails type used of sails. on a junk. I can't remember what that type of sail is called, but it's not Latin. But they're actually, well, not Latin, <laughs> but a Latin. Anyway, that, um, with the sticks holding stays, them up. Stays. stays in them? Well, stays like on a corset as opposed to stays in a, as on um, ropes. Exactly. Right. But anyway, I don't want battens. to... Batons. Batons, that's it, batons. Um, anyway, modern sailors are adopting that nowadays, that Chinese used for a thousand years or several thousand years. At any rate, the Chinese uh, have a strong tradition of piracy in the South China Sea, uh, including there was a very famous female pirate and pirate captain named, uh, I hope I pronounced this, this properly, Ching Shi uh, in, the, in the early years of the 19th century. Uh, again, there were, <laughs> they had fleets of Chinese pirates, which is very cool. You also had a huge tradition of piracy in like, the Sulu Sea and Malaysia. In fact, there was a whole people who, were, who, who made their living as pirates uh, called the bogies. And sort of where the term boogeyman comes from. There's boogers, which is an ancient English term for scary things. But boogeymen comes from the bogies who were these 
very, very frightening pirates. Who, who, from whose language did they come up with those? It's Malaysian. Oh, okay. Because it's interesting. Because like boogeymen also, you could say, comes from the Bogarts. That are, right, the that Bogarts. are scary things from, from, you know, English mythology. All right. But then, you know, it was an e- I guess it was an easy transfer. Sure. Of the, the bogies to boogers or bogarts to boogeymen. Hmm. Anyway, they, they were scary individuals, and they were very professional pirates. When the English were and the Dutch were sailing in uh, uh, eastern waters, they were very happy to enlist these guys, Malays, who were former pirates and all kinds of different things, uh, into onto their ships as crew because they were marvelous sailors. They knew their jobs and knew them well. As we talked before about various these uh, the Jack Aubrey series mm-hmm. uh, books by Patrick O'Brien, he mentions that ships coming back to England from being in the South China Seas, that half the crew members were Malays or Africans or Indians, and um, you know of somewhat questionable background. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were good at it. Eventually, the piracy was actually put down in that area to some degree in um, in the Malay Peninsula and in the Sulu Sea by Captain James Brooke uh, in the 1840s. He was also called a um, uh, Ak. I'm going to say this wrong. It's the uh, not the Pasha. The um, I'll have to. We'll have to put a, a link in there. Um, he was. Um, the leader of Malaysia. Uh, he was. He was. He, he had his own pirate band that was putting down pirates. Well, we'll, we'll add that I, I'll definitely have a little link to information about James Brooks, and then we'll we'll put that other that yeah. whatever that is that you're trying to think of. We'll put yeah, that I, my my brain is failing me at the at the moment. But uh, James Brook, yeah, he he did a marvelous job of putting down a lot of the piracy that was endemic. In the, uh, in the what? in the south southern waters of um, of East Asia and uh, Malaysia during the eighteen forties, and these guys were brutal and had, would do raids against fishing villages and wipe out everybody that was there. Not Brook, rather the pirates that he was putting down. In Elizabethans. In the Elizabethan period, we have which is which is mm, we'll call it the second half of the 16th century. Uh, we have the rise of the sea dogs, the English sea dogs. Now, it's not to say that there weren't English pirates or German pirates or Dutch pirates prior to that, but they became famous uh, and you know a. Uh, Patriotic, almost a patriotic duty to be a pirate. Well, in, were they the, pirates or were they privateers? Depends. Hmm. There were both. You have guys like Drake and um, and Hawkins and Frobisher, who had originally started off as basically smugglers to the Spanish Empire, to the Spanish colonial empire. They were smuggling slaves. Uh, they would pick up slaves in Africa from the Portuguese and then bring them to the Caribbean where they would be sold surreptitiously, um, the Spanish authorities winked at that until one day they didn't, and uh, Hawkins was put in prison and 
um, along with the rest of his crew. And Drake had to and took his little smaller boat and uh, or ship and had to flee for his life, and then declared war on the Spanish, <laughs> a personal war. So in some ways he was a pirate. The Spaniards certainly thought so. Uh, it's kind of cool they called him El Drake, uh, the dragon. Well, he started taking action before he had a letter of mark, I believe. Yes, he did. He uh, they, they they legitimized him after he'd already been wreaking havoc. On yes, uh, in the era in which Elizabeth was more or less at, uh, at peace with Spain and friendly with the Spanish, he was a pirate. When war broke out, or ill feelings started to to brew, and then war broke out, he became a privateer and then a commander of the fleet. <laughs> so did Elizabeth just turn a blind eye when he was doing that stuff? Yes, because she had investments. Ah. <laughs> she and her courtiers invested heavily in guys like Drake and Hawkins. Okay. So yeah, they turned a blind eye. Um, when Drake returned from his trip around the world in uh, 1578, and the Spanish ambassador demanded his head, Instead, Elizabeth knighted him. Ouch. Ouch. And the little bit of information to myth bust is, although all the movies show Elizabeth having him hand her, her his sword so, you know, supposedly she could cut off his head or whatever, and then she surprises everybody by dubbing him knight, she couldn't do that. She did not knight him because she wasn't a knight herself. Oh, only a knight can make another knight. Exactly. And so her little boyfriend of the time, the Duc d'Alençon of France, did the, did the honors. Aha. Uh -huh. So he actually knighted Drake with okay. the I dub the knight and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you mentioned privateers. So the difference between a pirate and a privateer is basically one of paper. Uh, a, a, a pirate is someone who goes on the account on his, for himself. They're, in, they're small businessmen or sometimes large businessmen who go to sea with armed ships and they take what they feel like when they feel like from ships that, you know, happen to show up in front of them. Ships that are part of a country... At, with which we are at war. No, actually, that's a, I'm <clears throat> still talking pirates. Oh, pirates. Here. Oh, just so that's just yeah. anybody. Pirates are are small businessmen who are out for themselves. Okay. A privateer is a someone who has a letter of mark, or a letter of mark and reprisal, mm -hmm. actually, and uh, they are private. They have a private uh, ship of war, so a private man of war, and they are issued this letter of mark or letter of mark and reprisal by a legitimate government to make war upon a specific enemy. Now, you to be a privateer, either the owner of the ship, the captain, whatever, had to post a really hefty bond because the issuers of these letters of mark and reprisal knew very well that it, it's a very fine line that separates a privateer from a pirate. The difference is a privateer only goes after certain flags. A pirate goes after any flag. And later on, I mean, there was at least one legitimate privateer who got in trouble later on, even though he had a letter of mark, but then they decided, 
you know, later on they said, oh, well, no, we decided that we're still going to try you as a pirate That's, because... Yeah, Captain Kidd. Yeah. Yeah, Captain Kidd was... was uh, executed for piracy even though he had a letter of mark yeah because he attacked a ship that he thought was legitimate a legitimate, a legitimate uh, target. target legitimate prize and later the the the, the king's government dis- or is it the queen's government at that time i don't remember anyway which which uh monarch was the, the english the government english british government decided that um no this letter of mark did not cover that ship and therefore we're going to hang you as a pirate so somebody had it in for him somebody had it in for him and they, they even put him in the gibbet you know the uh, yeah the iron bands holding his body together so that it could be picked clean by the well so crows. it could be out as an example for as a an longer example. time yeah. yes to encourage the others or discourage. Uh, or discourage, as the case may be. Now, getting into some of the more famous pirates, uh, pi- literally pirates of the Caribbean, we have Sir Henry Morgan, or Sir Ari Morgan, as uh, some of the Blackbeard pi- uh, movies have him, even though they were completely different eras. Well, not completely, but plenty of time had elapsed. Uh, he was kind of a, a pirate that made good. He had a... Uh, he started out with rather common means, but um, he was not an indentured servant. The first book that talks about him in, in uh, you know, regards to being a pirate claimed that he had come to Barbados as a um, as a indentured servant. He sued the publishing company. Ah. And they had to retract that. Well, I noticed he is Sir Henry Morgan. So at some point, he was knighted. He was knighted because he took, uh, was it Panama City hmm. from Spain? They had, you know, of course, they abandoned it later. But um, they crossed the Isthmus of Panama. Uh, <coughs> his, um, he and his pirates crossed, crossed the Isthmus of Panama to attack Panama City on the Pacific side. And what's the date on this? 1680 something. I yeah. Believe. Now, because oh, sh- we should clarify this too. We keep saying golden age of piracy, and I'm playing pretty loose and fast with that. But there really was a technical, there is a what people consider a golden age of piracy. Right. And it's from uh, call it 16 1680 something. to about 1725. So it's not a really long period of time. No, and this is, the, this is where most of the mythology of piracy comes from with the tricorn hats and the full-bottomed yeah. wigs mm-hmm. and whatnot um, and, you know, big flowy uh, coats and huge cuffs on, the, on those coats, mm-hmm. uh, big jackboots because, you know, oh, that was the fashion of the bucket day. Bucket top boots. Bucket top boots, that's it. Um, but the there was a lot. Of, there was endemic warfare going on between uh, England on one hand and or England, Scotland on one hand, and and France and Spain on the other. And you have and actually Spain, uh, France and Spain were sometimes fighting each other and sometimes allied. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of um, naval warfare, a lot of privateers, and then. When the war would end, all these sailors were thrown out of work. So we have guys going on the account for themselves, becoming pirates. And sometimes they're, you know, good guys. Sometimes they're bad guys. Drake actually is a good example of what you might call a good pirate, Sir Francis Drake, because uh, all of the people he captured on his round-the-world cruise, at least, 
said he treated them quite well. Um, he would put them ashore, not yeah. not very far from you know habited, inhabited cities, you know towns and things like that. He never um, well, tortured like he anybody. Was a- he was definitely in, had economic interest in doing it, but he had also a political interest in what he was doing too. He wasn't just out there burning and pillaging and raping. He was he he was more businesslike about it. Exactly, and it behooved him to not to not uh, annoy so many people that there became that he became uh, had, had wait, that he had a price on his head. Right, and also he got better information mm-hmm. for what was what was ahead. If he treated his captives well, um, there were late, there were those who followed him, you know, five, ten, twenty years later, who were not as as good with their captives, who fared poorly. Um, but the and of course he didn't always wasn't always nice. He burned Saint Augustine, Florida. Uh, that was one of the first things he did when he got to the Spanish uh, the Spanish Main was to burn Saint Augustine. At any rate. Um, it's in this golden age of piracy of the late 17th, early 18th century that we have the, the term buccaneer coming out, which was, is now certainly interchangeable with pirate. Mm-hmm. And a buccaneer was originally a buccaneer, buccanier, which was somebody who would hunt wild pigs and wild cattle mm-hmm. and turn it into jerky mm-hmm. and sell it. Yep. Uh, in fact... Bukan bacon. Bacon, exactly. Bukan <laughs> bacon. Bacon. And, you know, the... So this, these were people who were on the islands in the Caribbean hunting and right. jerking, jerking boar Jerking boar or beef, beef depending. Venison, something. Um, whatever animal they happened to shoot. A lot of them were former sailors. Uh, you could have Spanish, French... English, Dutch, whatever nationalities who had just decided, hey, I'm going to I'm tired of the social structure and the rather difficult life as a sailor. I'm going to go off here on this island and just live mm-hmm. by my wits and I can sell and can hunt this and food, sell, sell jerked beef or jerk meat, jerk and meats and uh, have enough to to buy powder and lead. And I'm happy do my barbecuing. Exactly. Barbecuing. Another term that comes from that profession. Bukan, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, so these guys not only were doing that, they would occasionally, because they were sailors, hmm, there's a fat prize out there that looks rather poorly tended. Let's get in our rowboats and go take it. So one of the things that people miss when they're talking about the golden age of piracy is most of the the, the vessels used in the islands were pretty small. Yeah, they were cat boats and little sloops and small things that you needed a small crew for. They were small and fast and shallow draft. Shallow draft so they could get away. Mm-hmm. They could Go sail. places those big slow boats couldn't go. Exactly. They could sail up some estuary mm-hmm. and disappear. Yeah. Um, the thing that we forget about a large ship, like any of the ones shown in any of these pirate movies of late, you have a lot of expense. You need a large crew to run a large ship. You got a big crew that yeah. you have to pay. You have lots of supplies you have to buy, lots mm-hmm. of of line, lots of rope, lots of tar, lots of gunpowder and shot, and lots of managing sometimes unruly individuals. 
who are all individuals. Individuals. That's another thing that's fascinating about this golden age of piracy is the, the brotherhood of the sea. And they were very egalitarian. Mm -hmm. And the captain had authority, but mostly it was a moral authority. And they could depose him. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's one of the things that makes, makes it popular is that this, this egalitarianism of the Brotherhood of the Sea didn't mean they were nice guys. But they did have a serious code. <laughs> they had a code. In fact, I'm guessing that the, the code and, and the prize sharing that went on with pirate ships and crews was probably a little more reliable than the prize sharing that went on oh, in, the various in legitimate shipping in the navies, yeah. Probably so. The captain still got the lion's share, but you didn't have to share it with some admiral either. Mm. So oh, some rear echelon guy back, back on shore. Exactly. Um, his own master. Now there's the thing that we don't really tend to think about is that exactly at the same time as the you know, pirates of the Caribbean are doing stuff, these same English pirates, privateers, etc., are doing stuff in the Indian ocean as well. India was a major trade partner. Eh. I don't know if they were a partner yet. Well, yeah, they're still a partner as opposed to being a conquered colony. Um, but these pirates, privateers, would take Indian ships or European-bound ships from India and loot them, uh, take them and loot them. And there's a famous incident in which one pirate was given as his share of the loot a huge diamond. He broke it up because he didn't think, because the other guys got a lot of small ones. Oh, no. Yeah, he broke it with a hammer because it was too... Because he wanted more. He wanted more. Yeah, he didn't think that this one big one would be, was worth as much as a bunch of smaller ones. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah these Not guys... Not a rocket scientist. Yeah. Talking, yeah, box of rocks yeah. <laughs> is what he ended up with. Wow. Yeah. So, um, when Thomas Tew, who was actually wined and dined, I believe, by the governor of Virginia? Or was it by I, governor of... Yeah, I think it was the governor of Virginia. Yeah. Maybe it was Massachusetts. Uh, he was quite famous for his buccaneering in the Indian Ocean. Uh, of course, that's where Captain Kidd got himself in trouble, was in the Indian Ocean. But we also have, at this time, some of the more famous pirates like Blackbeard, Edward Teach, who quite famously had his hair pretty much dreadlocked. Yep. And he well, would, not so much his hair, but he braided his beard braided his and beard. he braided slow match. Yes. Well, before he went into battle, he would braid slow match into his beard and, and set light it, it on fire. Yeah, and slow match, of course, is what you use to light off either a matchlock musket or a yeah. cannon. And it sputters and just glows. Yeah. And, and it's, so, so he basically was surrounded by this cloud of sulfurous burning black powder gunk and it was he was he was all about man he was mr special effects he was all about reputation right and building this reputation as this supernatural demonic craze and he was kind of crazy he was um individual individual yeah with in his fact, bandoliers of pistols and yep he'd have a, a big broad strap across his chest with all these small holsters and he filled it full of mm -hmm. pistols so mm -hmm. in an age of single shot pistols if you yeah. want to have his next shot you do yeah. what they call a new york reload 
Yeah, <laughs> Pulling yeah. out another pistol. No, he he justly has a reputation. You don't have to do really any too much myth busting because most of the myths are actually true about him. Apparently, he he was quite a character and, and big, strong guy. Ran a tight ship, um, but he was. I think he was kind of crazy. He did some really crazy things. Like I I I. I'm, I'm guessing this is a true story, even though it sounds crazy. He, you know, I don't know if he was drunk or just being being goofy one night, but he he uh, locked the door to his his um, not ready room, his, his state cabin, room, yeah. his cabin, where you know they were having drinking and playing cards and whatever, and had a uh, bucket of sulfur brought in, and he lit it on fire, and and you know dared people to see, to see how long people could tough it out in there in the sulfurous fumes, and I can't I can't remember I'm I'm gonna get the story wrong, but I don't know if there was a prize for the guy who could tough it out the longest, but he was the only one left in there. He was the only one. He stayed in the lo- he stayed in the room the longest with the sulfur smoke in there. That's sort of like those uh, guys in prison that play poker with a bull in the, <laughs> the arena, the rodeo arena, seeing who can last longest. I don't know. Wow. He, was, he was a weird guy. He was interesting. <laughs> yeah, and when he was finally killed by Lieutenant Maynard, or Main Yard, uh, the Royal Navy, off the coast of the Carolinas, um, he took a heck of a lot of abuse. He had several yeah. pistol balls in him, and he got slashed multiple times with cutlasses. Uh, he was a he was, tough customer. He was kind of a berserker. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, they recently found his ship uh, off the coast of Virginia. The Queen Anne's Revenge? I don't think it was the Queen Anne's Revenge. It was the other one, the one that he... he uh, it might have been that one. Anyway... Hmm. One of his ships, which uh, they knew approximately where it was, but they'd been looking slightly the wrong spot. And anyway, they found it. Steed Bonnet and Bartholomew Roberts are other uh, famous pirates. Bartholomew Roberts famously was originally a, um, as I recall, he's the one who was the captive and ended up being a better sailor and better captain yeah. <laughs> than the one that took him. And he ended up taking over. He took over the ship. As he was originally you know, a captive and a hostage. Steed Bonnet, when he was captured, he didn't want to be executed, so he said they could cut out they could take cut off his arms and legs and as long as they left him his tongue he would constantly pray and uh, sing praises to God or something like that. Well, that didn't work. They hanged him anyway. We also have Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Um, Their um, truth is stranger than fiction story. Yeah, the two female pirates, uh, part of the crew of Captain Calico Jack. Uh, what was his last name? Rackham. Rackham. Calico Jack Rackham. It's real. The mm-hmm. there really were these. Well, one of them, pilots. I can't remember if it was Mary or Anne, was Calico Jack's gal, basically. I think that was Mary Reed. Mary Reed. And so then, and I hope we're getting this right, and then Anne Bonny was, had shipped out as, dressed as a man. Right. And so she was posing as a man and getting away with it. And Mary basically fell in love with her thinking that she was a guy. Right. And so it's this, you can't make this stuff up. And eventually, and so eventually Anne is like, oh, no, wait, um, I'm not a guy. And, oh, ha, 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 well, how funny, let's be pals. And so they ended up being pals. Mm-hmm. And eventually, didn't they leave Calico Jack and, yeah. and go off on like their they own dropped adventures? Him. And, and, of course, they got captured. And, yeah. Um, I think they d- 
they they weren't executed because each one of them was pregnant. Right. But they, they pled their bellies. Yeah, and they but they died in prison anyways, as I recall. I, I can't remember. I think Mary Reed did. Um, and Bonnie died in prison, but I don't know about Mary Reed. Yeah. They weren't executed though, which yeah. is usually the 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 fate of pirates. As often happens in post war periods, uh navies are looking for something to do. Not only had they thrown all these guys off uh on the on the beach, uh with the demobilization of navies. In which war were we talking about? Uh, wars of the Spanish Succession. Which um, is when? That's ended in 1715. With demobilization, you have pirates mm-hmm. because all these guys are looking for a job, but you also have the Navy looking for a job, so they kick up their anti-piracy patrols. Uh, and this is how they dealt with their pirates. You have guys like this... Um, Lieutenant Maynard of the Royal Navy putting, you know, being ordered, go catch Blackbeard. That's your job. You know, outfitting a ship specifically to go after Blackbeard. Um, There were, as the years went on, you had more specific anti-piracy patrols. In the early 19th century, not only did you have anti-piracy or patrols in West Africa with not only anti-piracy, but also anti-slave ships. So the anti-slavery patrols in West Africa also, because they were all contraband, it wasn't that different, wasn't considered different. And, you know, before we we move on into this period, we never really did talk about the whole deal with the Barbary pirates and old Ironsides and what was going on. Why was the Constitution even built in the first place? That's a very good good point. Uh, At the end of the 18th century, uh, of course, the United States had gained its independence. Uh, Up until 1782, the United States, well, American shipping had been either under the protection of the Royal Navy or the French Navy. With the end of the war and the dissolution of the United States Navy, uh, we had no protection. We were very much a maritime trading nation. Um, uh, All of our wealth had to come from international trade, which had been with Britain, but there was some disruption in that trade with the war. But we traded a lot with the Levant, with Italy, Sicily, uh, Greece, and France, of course. The Barbary pirates are the descendants of this uh, fellow Barbarossa, or Redbeard, who was a, uh, a pirate in North Africa who had pledged his allegiance to the Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent in the 16th century. And so you have the rise of these pirate kingdoms, or sultanates, in like Tripoli, Morocco, Algiers, um, There were, in fact, five of them, which I don't remember offhand all of them. But uh, Morocco was not a problem for the United States because we had a longstanding treaty with them. It was the first country that we had had a treaty with as an independent country in 1777. And we both were uh, had fidelity to that treaty. However, the other Barbary pirate nations, we didn't. Um, and if you want to hear more about that treaty and related subjects, you can check out episode four of Gordon's Gun Closet, where we talk about the wind and the lion and the last of the Barbary last pirates. Last of the Barbary pirates, exactly. Yes. The Rizuli. 
Um, the Shah or Sultan of um, Tripoli, uh, he decided that we, well, anyway, we were, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> we ended up spending a whole lot of money in uh, protection money to these pirates. Uh, the United States Congress decided this was a bad idea. Yeah. And so they yeah. authorized, while we were negotiating with these guys, they authorized the construction of six frigates to revitalize, rebuild the United States Navy. There were the Chesapeake, um, Congress, the uh, Constellation, Constitution, President, and United States. Those are the four frigates that make up the original four United States. There's six, yes. Six of them, sorry. The four frigates that were the six frigates. Anyway, <laughs> six frigates that made up the United States Navy. It's new math. Um, three were 44-gun frigates. Three were 38-gun frigates. But they were all built very stoutly. I uh, mentioned earlier the, uh, the, the movie Old Ironsides. And the movie is about the Bar war with the Barbary pirates. Well, they were authorized in uh, 1794 and named. George Washington seems to have just picked the top six names. He didn't really care what they were. They just happened to be at the top of the list. Uh, and they were um, built, just like military contractors today, they built them in different parts of the, the, the United States. Uh, we had Constitution built in Boston. The, Which um, is where she is today. Where she is today. Um, Constellation uh, was built in, I believe, in Baltimore. Um, anyway, they were mm -hmm. built around uh, Chesapeake, built in on the Chesapeake. At any rate, uh, the authorization the for funds by Congress was to end as soon as they got the treaties that they wanted to with the Barbary pirates. Um, they got the treaties, but Congress, in a wild stroke of wisdom, decided to continue the funding and continue building these ships. And they were it's launched. Good thing they did. It's a good thing they did. They were launched between 1797, uh, when I believe uh, Constellation was the first one launched, anyway, and 1800, when uh, the president was the last of them to be launched uh, and commissioned. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that actually the first first action they saw was not against Barbary pirates, but against French privateers in the quasi-war between the United States and revolutionary France. I'll have to talk about that another time because wow. it's kind of complex as to how that happened. This is after the American Revolutionary War right. when we when the French helped us out and then right. somehow we got into a kerfuffle that didn't right. turn into a full-on war. Right. It didn't turn into a full-on war, but it was with the French revolutionary government. Okay. Because the French revolutionaries were mad that we weren't supporting them against Britain. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, but because we were having this kerfuffle with the French revolutionaries, Britain was happy to sell us artillery pieces to arm all of our ships when they probably wouldn't have otherwise. Okay. So that's where they got all these 24-pounders and 18-pounders because okay. uh, we couldn't build them. At, we couldn't cast them. Oh, at the time, okay. we didn't have the technology to to manufacture those. Yeah, we couldn't done it, but the British did. Wow. They were happy to arm us if we were going to fight the French. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> However, next thing happened was it was discovered certainly by 
the new president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, who really was anti-Navy. He wanted to disband the Navy and replace it with a bunch of small gunboats. Uh, it was discovered that one-fifth of the United States budget was spent in basically blood money protection, money, protection money to these North African pirates. Oh, my goodness. 20% of the U.S. federal budget went to these guys. And I don't think so. Yeah. Um, we did some renegotiation. Anyway, the Bay of Tripoli decided that we were paying him less than his neighbor. And so he sent some of his thugs to go chop down our flagpole outside of our embassy, which was their way of declaring war. I guess wood is pretty rare in North Africa. So if you chop down somebody's flagpole, that's a pretty uh, serious deed. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in response, we, you know, and then of course they started attacking American shipping. Oh yeah. They were, they were, they were selling people into slavery and, yeah, and holding people for ransom. And yeah. People. And that's why there was that huge amount of, of money that we were spending. A lot of it was on ransom. Mm-hmm. For American sailors, American uh And this is after we'd made these treaties. Right. So right. it just, it hadn't really solved anything. It really didn't solve anything. So we sent uh, our, uh, a, a small fleet under, um, under Captain, um, eh, sorry, Whipple was the one who was the commander of the Constellation in the Quasi-War. Uh, and I will... I'm going to kick myself for not remembering the captain of the Const the Commodore and captain of the Constitution fighting the uh, Tripolian pirates. Oh, we'll have a, a link in the notes. Ah, he made the U.S. Navy the professional force that it is today. At any rate, so the U.S. Navy was designed originally around fighting pirates. The we we, we sort of cowed them into a certain amount of um, uh, civility with our show of force, sinking lots of their ships and bombarding their cities. Uh, but really, the whole problem of the Barbary pirates wasn't taken care of until after the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815. Hmm. In um, 1816, a combined force made up of U.S., Danish, Swedish, and Dutch ships uh, went in to bombard the heck out of these guys. And the British figured, oh, well, I guess since they're doing it, they sort of got ended themselves. Baron? Hmm. Nope, not Baron was the commander of the uh, Philadelphia. Well, the Philadelphia is under the command of Bainbridge. Oh, that was Bainbridge. Okay, Baron was the one who shot Decatur. Sorry. Anyway, we're sort of <laughs> looking things up as I we talk. I can't help you. At any rate, after 1816, the Barbary pirates had their power destroyed and were not a threat anymore to anybody. The British actually at that point decided it was in their best interest to uh, continue keeping these people cowed. And um, so... The Mediterranean was now reasonably safe for travelers and for Sicilian fishermen as well. Privateering, as we mentioned earlier, privateering was uh, popular during the, not only the golden age of piracy, but uh, earlier periods as well. 
What privateering does is it's a cheap and dirty way for some for a country to build a navy. And the United States in its revolutionary war was we had no navy. Mm-hmm. So because uh, the government's not providing the ships. They're private ships. They're private mm-hmm. warships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did build a navy, but we also had clouds of privateers. Uh, letters of mark and reprisal. We also did that during the War of 1812 because, well, we had to involve ourselves in guerre de course as opposed to guerre de main in both of those wars. Guerre de course means war on your enemy's, um, your enemy's economy, on his shipping. Guerre de main is large ships in large fleets fighting other large ships in large fleets. We didn't have the wherewithal to that for that. And, of course, you know, Britain did, so we weren't going to go head to head with them. When's the last time we ever had privateers? Um, I believe the Civil War. Okay. Um, American Civil War privateers, letters of mark and reprisal were issued both by North, the North and the South. Uh, it became very unprofitable for the South after about the first year of the war. Yeah. However, in all three of those wars, the U.S. Navy and the Confederate Navy uh, did send their own warships regular warships off to do what's effectively privateering by attacking the enemy's shipping. Not his warships, but his uh Yeah, which seems kind of dirty pool. Well, that's how you attack the economy. Oh, true. Uh, also, I want to point out that this was continued in World War One and World War Two. That's what submarine warfare is, is effectively the same thing. You're attacking your enemy's shipping, his merchant shipping rather than his uh, his navy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interestingly, too, when the United States at the uh, Nuremberg trials tried to accuse Admiral Dönitz of the uh, German, the German navy of piracy for the wolf packs and their submarine warfare, he called as his witnesses Admirals Halsey and Nimitz who basically backed him up. They didn't go, of course, but they sent uh, notarized letters saying, yeah, we did the same thing. This is a legitimate yeah. uh, method yeah, of warfare. Yeah, quit picking on him. Yeah, this is not piracy. It continues to this pro- present day, though, piracy does. Uh, you have places like the Straits of Molucca, the Sulu Sea, and uh, the South China Sea that are <laughs> awash with pirates. We have a friend who had a very interesting... Uh, oh, inter- interaction. Mind if I tell it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, our, our friend Elizabeth. Uh, if you're listening, hi, Elizabeth, who, who uh, years ago went to a, a costume party at a uh, a bar somewhere or a, a dance. Or a uh, hotel dance. or something. No. Or was it a bar? I don't know. Where, it was somewhere in Vallejo, California. She and her husband, and they went as, you know, classical pirate, you know, Howard Pyle, fancy pirates, when I'm sure they were awesome. And, well, we know they were awesome because she uh, was in the ladies' washroom washing her hands and powdering her nose in the mirror. And this little, excuse me, this little Filipino gal came up to her and said, you look amazing. What what are you supposed to be? What are you dressed as? And Elizabeth said, oh, well, I'm a pirate. And this gal says, really? I have a cousin who's a pirate. <laughs> I'll okay. bet you do. <laughs> yeah. And there it is. Now, a lot of these pirates were, they prey on refugees. Like mm-hmm. when there was the big Vietnam, mm-hmm. the boat people, they were heavily preyed upon 
by yeah. these pirates. But they also will take oil tankers. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are some big time doing big time piracy. They take oil tankers and take them to some place like, you know, Singapore. Not even not Singapore, but uh, uh, some of the Chinese coastal cities, mm-hmm. and they sold them. There's the uh, whole Somalia <clears throat> thing. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Somalia is a hotbed for piracy because with the breakdown of their government, the national government in Somalia, it wasn't that they no longer were able to suppress piracy. It's just it's that actually piracy came to them in the form of international trawlers fishing out their yeah, ocean. Leaving them nothing. Leaving them nothing. So these fishermen who no longer had a trade because there were no longer fish to get, mm-hmm. well, we're going to get some revenge. Yeah. And as portrayed in that recent Tom Hanks film, the name of which escapes me, Captain Something. Yes, that Cap- one. Captain Something, starring Tom Hanks, which is uh, Somali pirates attacking a. Is it a? a it's a. It's a. A cargo ship. I it's think. Cargo ship, or maybe yeah. it's an oiler. I a few years ago, I read a book where a journalist basically. Fought, uh, shipped out with a, a number of different container ships all over the world and wrote about it. And it was—it's a—it's a really—I can't—I ah, wish I could remember the name of it. I'll have to—I'll have to do some research. I will write myself a note. Note. Uh, but, uh, but it was—it uh, probably came out in the in the um, late '90s or early 2000s. And and his basic thesis was was that international shipping, like uh, uh, intermodal transport type shipping, you know, container shipping, is is basically dying out. He said it used to be when you would you go to Lloyd's of London and you'd look at the map to see, you know, where are all the ships in the world right now? There's just the ocean was full of them, and now it's really really gone down. But his other interesting thing, uh, an episode, a couple of chapters in the book was where he's on a ship and they're going to some port in South America. I can't remember if it was Rio de Janeiro or somewhere, but they end up, they end up getting boarded by pirates. And he says, the thing is you're coming in, especially at night, you've got to have people on deck watching all the time because the pirates will come, they'll scale up the side of the ship. They'll, 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 take a cutting torch to the side to just pick a container and cut it open because it's a crapshoot. They don't know what they're going to get. They'll go in. If it's good stuff, they'll clean out that container and be over the side and away. And you won't even know you've been hit till you get to port. And it's like, you've got an empty container. And um, so it was to the point where even though it was forbidden by their charter and, and company rules, but a lot of these captains started um, carrying arms on the ships because yeah. there's, they have to defend themselves. No one else is going to do it when they're out at sea. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, a lot of these guys started carrying shotguns and things. Sorry, uh, cat distraction. Uh, <clears throat> I also want to point out that this is an echo of the earlier pirates using small boats mm-hmm. to attack larger boats. Yeah, you definitely a, small boats coming alongside, sneaking up on you. Sneaking up on them, yeah. The... Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to point out that the Baltic Dry Index also pointed to that a couple of weeks ago there wasn't a single merchant ship on the North Atlantic. Oh my goodness, it's that bad. Yeah, not a single one. We also have piracy that's quite alive in West Africa. And of course, back to the Caribbean. There's pirates of the Caribbean today. A lot of them are drug traffickers that branch out. Uh, some of them prey on rich yachtsmen. I was just going to say that that's a very dangerous place to go yachting in, is in the Caribbean. Every year, many people disappear down there. Yep. They, you know, yeah. like an older couple in their yacht will just evaporate. Mm-hmm. Some sink, some are sunk. 
some, I think, the yes. yachts become pirate ships. Yachts become pirate and ships. The, and the owners just disappear. Exactly. And, you know, they prey on either refugees who can't fight back or, well, yachters, people mm -hmm. who are just, you know, a family, just a few people who can't fight back. Yeah. Um, hey, if I ever go sailing down there, you betcha we're going to be armed. <laughs> yep. I have to hide them somewhere too, because when you go into port, uh, the authorities don't like it when you're armed, so you have to be very careful about that. I'll just be like Han Solo and have a good smuggling compartment. There we go. There we go. Um, the, there's probably going to be a future rise in, pi in piracy if the economy continues to crack up, especially in more vulnerable areas. Uh, Venezuela and Brazil especially are probably going to be very prone to that. Uh, the Caribbean will continue to be a hotbed. The Straits of Malacca, the South China Sea, the Sulu Sea, uh, all these constriction points and um, that also, oddly enough, tend to be uh, economic, economically challenged areas. Piracy is re a real thing. Uh, it's not a nice thing. Most people end up dead that have interactions, professional interactions with pirates. And it's fun to dress up as these romantic brotherhood of the sea type people, but the reality is much different. There have been several feature films made in the last, you know, 20 years that deal with piracy and people going missing or running afoul of modern day pirates. It's not pretty, it's not romantic, it's ugly. None of these movies are romances, they're all like thrillers or horror or something you know it's they're not running around in frock coats with flintlocks they're running around with ARs and Uzi AKs and mostly AK, or AKs that makes more sense and and uh, nasty nasty stuff yep literally cutthroats mm -hmm. yeah Just unpleasant AKs people. and machetes yeah pretty much and a machete makes a heck of a good uh, cutlass mm-hmm Oddly enough, they're about the same size. Okay, well that ought to wrap us up for tonight. The, the, um, um, we've had all kinds of interesting things to talk about here with our piracy, but there's more. There's always more. So, uh, as always, you can contact us with your questions or comments at historyfilesshow at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at history underscore files, uh, and or you can uh, contact us through our Slack channel. Uh, we have a Psycon Slack channel for the Psychonauts, and you can find a link to that at our website. That's Psycon.fm. Show notes for this episode will be at Psycon.fm slash slash thf50. And thank you so much to everyone who reposts, retweets, and all of you who just listen. History Files wouldn't be possible without your support. And thanks so much to those of you who give your, of your resources every month via Patreon or PayPal. You know who you are, and we think you're awesome. And uh, of course, now, of course, we try to do our research and share the most current information on any topic. We don't claim to be the last word on any subject. And if you disagree with something we've said or, or want to chime in on something, we welcome input from you, especially if you have information that we don't. Absolutely. Uh, also, Edward Preble, he's the one I was, whose name I was trying to think Aha. of, captain of the, of the Constitution. There we go. Edward Preble. You know, in fact, Maybe in a few months we need to do a whole episode on the Barbary Wars, the Barbary oh, yeah. Pirate Wars, Absolutely. because it's just 
fantastic from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. That's where that line comes from. That's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And it was a early thing where the the British were very impressed and we loved the fact that we impressed Admiral Nelson. On that note, uh, thank you very much for joining us for episode 50 of The History Files and tune in next week for another exciting episode of The History Files. The History Files is brought to you by Bad Cat Productions, a proud member of the SciCon Podcast Network. For show notes, more episodes, or to join the conversation on Slack, visit us at scicon.fm slash THF. We also invite you to consider supporting this and our other fine shows by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where a pledge of even $1 a month will help keep us on the air.